Hello everyone, I'm Rania Kalik and this is Dispatches. The German Democratic Republic is remembered in the West, if it's remembered at all, as a dystopian backwards place, the antithesis of freedom and democracy, a police state whose fall marked the end of history and the return of East Germany to its proper place in the democratic capitalist free market West. It's remembered that way because communism fell and the enemies of socialism, who were victorious, got to write their narrative in the history books. But the objective reality of the GDR is far more complex and worth re-examining by those of us who want to see a more socialist, anti-imperialist world. Not only was the GDR a socialist state built on anti-fascist principles following the Second World War, a place where everyone had access to education and housing, where equality between men and women was guaranteed. It also practiced solidarity with other socialist states, countries, and liberation movements fighting for independence from colonialism across the global south. While it ultimately did fail, it's worth understanding what worked and the reasons for its downfall. Even less known are the roots of capitalist West Germany as a European outpost and protector of U.S. hegemony, with an army established under the leadership of former Nazis. It became central to the Cold War against socialist states. Why does this history still matter? What's the connection between anti-imperialism and socialism? How did socialist states like the GDR organize their anti-imperialist solidarity during the 20th century? And what does this tell us about global developments today as the international order is shifting to a multipolar world where progressive forces are witnessing a rebirth of a non-aligned movement of states? To discuss this and more, I'm joined by Max Rotterman and Matthew Reed, researchers at the International Research Center, DDR, which together with the Tricontinental Institute for Social Research, published a special issue on the legacy and historical experiences of socialist construction under the conditions of constant imperialist aggression in the GDR, titled Risen from the Ruins. But before we jump into it, this is just the first half of this episode. The second half is available for Breakthrough News members only. You can become a member at patreon.com slash Breakthrough News. Max and Matthew, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks very much. Long time well, so, listeners. Yeah, exactly. Long time. Well, long time listeners. I love that. Obviously, like I'm a I'm an admirer of the work you all have been doing at the International Research Center (DDR), uh, and of course, we're going to be talking about the German German Democratic Republic. And as I mentioned in the opening, a lot of the important factors that go into the anti-imperialist socialist principles it was founded on and acted on. Um, but before we get into all that, I think it, you know, it might be useful for our audience to have an idea of, you know, what is the research center, which you guys are both a part of your researchers and fellows at uh, in Germany, um, and why is it relevant uh, in the work you're doing today? Okay, so maybe to start off and give a little bit of background uh, of what the German Democratic Republic actually uh, is about or how to uh, understand it, I think... The most important thing to know um, and to understand to for anything to know about the GDR is that it was kind of a, a child of the Second World War. So nothing can be understood without understanding this kind of uh, a conjuncture that uh, developed after the Second World War in Germany and all over Europe in general. So uh, after the defeat of fascism, um, you had the, um, with the conference of, of Yalta, you had these uh, kind of 
for these as the policies for uh, the uh, occupied Germany, uh, occupied zones of Germany, uh, which were which was occupied uh, from um, America, Britain, the Soviet Union, and a certain sector for France also. But uh, so they uh, made these four Ds, which stood for denazification, uh, demilitarization, demonopolization, and what's the last one? Help me out. Decentralization, I think. Um, so um, uh, a policy to really break the neck of the former, uh, um, yeah, fascist uh, regime in Germany. And effectively, they have been implemented very differently in the different zones uh, of Germany. In the Western zones uh, from uh, the American and British sector, they were never really effectively implemented. Whereas in the uh, Soviet zone, actually, they developed a kind of anti-fascistic democratic uh, path that um, uh, in the end in 1949 developed uh, into um, two different states that were uh, founded. Uh, however, it's very important that the the West always was kind of the driving force of uh, really separating these two states. Um, Adenauer, the Western president, said something famous like, "Rather the half German Germany." whole than the whole Germany only half. I don't know if it, that translate, translates well, but what he effectively meant is that he wants political control uh, of the uh, complete co political control with his political program uh, on Germany, which uh, obviously only was suitable for Western, German, uh, Western Germany. So we had this situation uh, of uh, an anti-fascistic democratic development in the East already that then led to the path of the German Democratic Republic, which only was there for 40 years, effectively, from 40, uh, 1949 to 1990. And uh, in the early 50s began also to develop a socialist society. And um, yeah, maybe this as a like general introduction about what we are talking on. Our research uh, center, however, is not only focused on the GDR, but on the socialist camp in a whole and tries to really bring this experiences of how they um, developed a socialist society um, uh, into our discussions of like progressive movements uh, and activists of today. Um, yeah, because there's a huge, it's a huge treasure, you know, there have been all these discussions and all these like practical experiences of uh, uh, socialism in all, in all fields of society. Like we re recently published a study on socialist healthcare, for example, we're working on socialist agriculture, uh, education, uh, and socialist democracy and so on. And it's, uh, from our perspective, it's very important to do this kind of research because of the overall anti-communist sentiment that also mm -hmm. reaches out to our movements, unfortunately. And, uh, okay, sorry, no, go no, ahead. No, 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 I think that's really important to note. I mean, I, all that anti-communism that is really written in like our history books across the global North and even in the global South to some degree, um, it acts as a huge barrier to, to, to anything progressive around the world, even today. And of course, back then it didn't, I, I just like you to elaborate a little bit on something because I think it's important, everything you just noted, uh, but in the context of like East Germany versus West Germany, the German Democratic Republic versus West Germany, there's something real. I mean, there's so many important factors and why these two places were so different. I mean, obviously one was in the Eastern camp, one was in the Western camp, but you know, a lot of Americans and people in general in the West aren't familiar with the fact that 
you know, okay, yes, you had the socialist state in East Germany that's founded on these anti-fascist principles in the aftermath of the defeat of Nazism, right? And they really instituted denazification. Like they took denazification very, very seriously and they implemented socialist principles. We can talk a bit more about one of the most important principles that they implemented so well, which was the expropriation uh, of, of private property uh, for the public good. I'd love to hear more about that. But I think it's really important to also juxtapose that uh, with what West Germany was, because West Germany was founded by a, like leadership that included a lot of former Nazis. And it became like this capitalist outpost, right, of the United States, of the Europeans. And it was really like a weapon in the Cold War against not just the Soviet Union, but of course, the entire socialist camp around the world, as well as all these liberation struggles, which the German Democratic Republic was in solidarity with. And we're going to, I mean, I want to go into all of those different things, but first, I mean, can you kind of give us like uh, a sort of comparison between what East, what, what the German Democratic Republic was like versus what, what West Germany was like, particularly the role of like actual anti-fascist principles and denazification, how that was different in both places. I will uh, jump in there. I mean, I think the first thing that's important to note as well is that, you know, the post-war situation in Germany was uh, very much up in the air. You know, it was a discussion amongst the anti-Hitler coalition. You know, what are we going to do with Germany? And the Soviets uh, had a very clear understanding that, you know, we need Germany to stay united and we need to be demilitarized, denazified, and, and not part of any alliance that's going to be directed against uh, the West or against the East, Right. And uh, the problem is that the West had a very different understanding about this. They wanted, uh, as Max said, you know, they wanted West Germany to be like a bulwark, basically, against the socialist states. They wanted uh, to divide the country. And uh, so this is why you have this uh, divide in Germany in the first place. Anyway, it's very much a Western policy, right? It's part of this containment. Um, this is or even the rollback strategy that they have, right, where they're trying to actually push the influence of socialism back. And so the Western powers, they also realized that if they wanted to do this in Germany, they would have to basically restore capitalism in the West and restore monopoly capitalism in all of its uh, ugly forms, right? So uh, it, that meant not only the Marshall Plan, right, which is the U.S. sending all this capital into Western Europe as a way of sort of not only economically, but also ideologically tying the West uh, of Germany to the United States and the North Atlantic states, but also very much, um, yeah, sort of re reestablishing this uh, German imperial tradition. You know, they brought in uh, Nazi uh, generals and so on to become uh, new generals in the in the West German military. You know, the first head of NATO, he was also uh, very much a high-ranking Nazi official. Uh, you had the same thing going on in the banking sector. You had. Uh, ex-Nazis doing uh, financial work, uh, advising the new government in West Germany. Um, so there was sort of, uh, on the surface level, they liked to propagate this idea that, okay, we are, you know, we're trying the Nazi criminals, we're putting them on, on trial. Um, but in terms of what's going on behind the scenes, there's less of that. And also in terms of the economic basis of fascism, you know, what, what actually, what was the material basis that, upon which fascism grew. And this was very much the sort of the landed nobility in Germany, you know, sort of these, uh, they called them the Junkers, the, the people who owned these large landed estates. They were very much a pillar of 
uh, Nazism and also the, the industrialists, the magnates, they'd financed Hitler's rise and all this. And so in East Germany, there was very much an understanding if we want to get rid of Nazism, we have to first uh, rip it out by the economic roots. You know, we have to have a land reform to get rid of this landed nobility. We have to expropriate the Nazi criminals who were industrialists. You know, we have to take their companies away and uh, give them to the people, you know, nationalize them essentially. And they had referendums on this too, you know. It was, there was a democratic majority was voting for this, you know. Uh, and interestingly, they also had these kind of referendums in the West, but uh, the U.S. administration, the military administration, who was running West Germany, they actually blocked these initiatives. So you had something like two-thirds of, of the popular vote was saying, okay, we want to nationalize the industries. We want even to introduce some form of you know, economic planning, but uh, the Western administrations basically prevented this. And uh, it actually, in West Germany, it went so far that there were you know, strikes and protests demanding this, and the U.S. military actually sent in tanks and tear gas to disperse these. You know, they, oh. you always hear about this in the East, right? But you never hear that it happened in the West as well. Uh, and so this is something that we've been looking at as well. I'm just trying to basically, uh, you know, correct the facts here and uh, you know, fight against this very one-sided narrative of what happened in the West and the East, right? No, totally. And it's super important. Um, and I'm curious if you guys can talk a little bit about some of the reality of life in the German Democratic Republic, because the way it's like, if if, we're, if we hear about it at all, it's this idea of, oh, it was just like this really gray place where everybody just dressed the same and people lived in little boxes. And it was like, you know, just police were all over the place, making sure that you couldn't think on your own or do anything on your own. When actually a lot of the work that you guys are doing uh, is about, like you mentioned, talking about the aspect of, for example, healthcare. Like there is so much to learn from a place like this because despite the fact that it was an economic ruin and West, the like the way that industry was uh, at the time, and people can go, I really do recommend people go check out the Tricontinental uh, Institute report that uh, your institute or your center also took part in putting together uh, Risen from the Ruins. But it does, that, that report does go, you know, somewhat in depth about, uh, the way that uh, there was a, many, many obstacles economically for uh, East Germany because of the way that, you know, Marshall Plan and money was flooded into the West. And then all of these like uh, industrialists, industrialists like were in the West and all of the industry was in the West and all this stuff. It was very difficult for East Germany to like build an economy, but they did. They had so many economic achievements and they were able to provide people with free education for everybody with healthcare, like you mentioned, with access to housing and all these sorts of things. Can you talk a little bit about those achievements and like what we can learn from them? Uh, okay, maybe I think you have to to, to add on, uh, Matthew. It's, uh, um, uh, I might leave, leave something out that is important. But first of all, maybe to um, also very much agree with what you have said. I think it's important to understand that uh, the foundation that the GDR uh, had to develop on was very difficult. It was a very complicated situation uh, and one mu we must not have the idea of a utopian socialist society or whatsoever. Um, uh, but uh, of course, uh, the GDR effectively developed in, uh, a huge uh, economic base over only 40 years that was able to, uh, I think, it, uh, rank uh, up to the 15th biggest uh, economy around the world. Uh, it was the 
uh, only so-called Western country where socialism developed. So this is something that uh, is also interesting for us looking at the GDR. But overall, they try to implement a, yeah, a different system, a different structure in all kind, in all the layers of society. If, if it's the educational system, the healthcare system, uh, but also, uh, and this is probably one of the most important of the working structure uh, overall, because um, uh, the fundamental basis of the achievement and development of the GDR lies in the expropriation of property. And uh, this also developed step by step um, um, to the point that I think in the 80s, uh, over 90% of the property, uh, like the productive forces were uh, state-owned. And Uh, so they developed this uh, kind of uh, plant economy where the uh, workers were able to yeah, take, take a different position, a different uh, uh, relation to, to um, their working environment uh, and to uh, the development of the society in a whole. Um, to, um, ah, I'm a little bit uh, on a loose foot. Maybe you can add on uh, something, Matthew. Uh, I <laughs> I mean, I think one of the important things to note as well is that, you know, you asked about life in the DDR, you know. Um, and there was actually, interestingly, a, a study here last month, a representative study that they did where they asked sort of East Germans, what do they view about uh, Germany today now that we're reunified? Um, how do they remember their times in the DDR? And it came back that actually two-thirds of the people, of the respondents, they said they shared a longing for the DDR, right? Wow. They, they actually uh, were satisfied with their life in the DDR. And uh, the, the people who were running this study uh, then sort of concluded that, okay, it's some kind of quirk, this East German quirk. You know, they like authoritarianism. Uh, it also explains why the East Germans are now voting for the right wing, uh, more so than the West Germans, or why they're more... Uh, anti-NATO and more understanding of Russia's position, right? So this is the way that the sort of mainstream tries to write it off. Um, mm -hmm. But the fact is, is that life in the GDR was not Stasi. It was not uh, the wall. Uh, I mean, those things existed, but it was not, it was, there was more than that, right? There was a, a whole a society uh, that was uh, operating, and as Max was saying, it was actually operating very well. And so uh, what we tried to do also is interview people who, were there experiencing it and, and who were also actually participating in society. So we, we make filmed interviews and upload them onto our website as well with, you know, doctors, um, politicians, and also just people who, yeah, were working in the, in the, in the factories, you know, um, and just to get their side of the story and sort of amplify another perspective, which is never really given platform, never given space in the current discourse. Uh, yeah. Maybe maybe to, to bring it down to like one line or something, what we often hear of like former GDR citizens, what is like one remarkable difference to the life of uh, uh, the GDR, to the, uh, the, the one that they experienced in capitalism, was that the, there was no like fundamental fear of like perspective in your life. There was, they were ensured that there was education. They were ensured they had the right to work. They had the right for... Uh, space of living also for the children and this took a huge like amount of fear and pressure that is so constantly um yeah present in life in capitalism and this is really also something that changed uh, somewhat the relations uh, of the people um 
in the GDR becoming more of equals, you know, becoming more of uh, um, not, not also fearing uh, uh, the um, yeah the the your neighbor or uh, whatsoever, but also actually knowing your neighbor and uh, being in the same boat, so to say. And uh, yeah, this maybe sparks a little sense of the life uh, that the GDR was able to build. It's, it's, it's really incredible. And then I, I, before we get to the issue of like the sort of anti-imperialism that was baked into uh, the sort of principles of the GDR and the broader conversation slash debate that was taking place uh, really across the sort of socialist camp, non-aligned camp around the world. Before we get to that, there's something I want to, I want to pick up. I want to uh, go like elaborate on a little bit that you all brought up. And that is, uh, I think Matt, Matthew, you were saying something about how today East Germans are depicted as being just like all these right-wing people who like love the far right, love AFD, and also do have like a higher, you know, proportion of them to are, are more anti-NATO than others. But I'm curious if that, if, you know, I'm curious what the reasons for that are, right? Because there are, it is true that in East, in the East of Germany, there is, more of a base of support for certain right-wing parties. So of course it's, that exists in the West too, but in the East Germany that, that exists maybe to a higher degree as well as a sort of anti-NATO sentiment you're talking about. And I'm wondering if that has anything to do with the collapse of East Germany and the reintegration of Germany and the sort of shock therapy that went into that. I mean, we do know a consequence across the Western world of neoliberalism and austerity policies is this sort of use of culture wars to, you know, blame all the wrong, you know, people and wrong things for the collapse of people's livelihoods and lifestyles and, and, and all these sorts of things. So I'm wondering, I guess my question here is, can you give a brief overview of what took place during the collapse in 1990, what that meant for the quality of life of people in East Germany as they were exposed to a lot of the kind of shock therapy that we saw across other parts of the former Soviet Union. And am I right to, to think that that has maybe played a role in the sort of political shift that we've seen among people in East Germany since then? Yeah, I think I think you're very uh, right to like uh, draw this kind of connection because it's super ridiculous. The GDR in like our media and political discussions always is the the reason for all the shit that's going on. You know, they always mm -hmm. find some reason to to blame the GDR for all the right-wingers uh, or whatsoever that's happening now. But uh, it's actually their fucking policy. Sorry for my wording. Uh, it's, it's, their, it's their policy of empowerment and of privatization of really, uh, of also, yeah, deindustrialization and um, all of that, that, uh, yeah, made, uh, that marked a huge break in all of the lives of the former GDR citizens. And this is, This is definitely um, something that, uh, yeah, is is deeply integrated into also the consciousness of the Eastern German population. Population uh, that um, definitely uh, builds on a more spec uh, skeptical and uh, distanced position towards like the elites of uh, um, poli politics nowadays. It's all it's. It's all uh, Western politics. It's all Western elites that came to the East and took over, took over the factories, took over the like political system and so on. So they were there 
was really a process that has many similarities with the process of colonization, actually, of the East. So uh, there is uh, definitely a, a, a base of experience that uh, distance, distances the Eastern population towards uh, the nowadays uh, politics. And also the experience, uh, as you mentioned, the anti-NATO sentiment that is, from what I can tell, also uh, bigger in the East than it was in the West, because the East never was part of the NATO. The mm -hmm. Western Germany actually became a member of the NATO uh, just 1955, 10 years after the Second World War. They banned the Communist Party also in 1956 and so on. So they had this fierce anti-communist and imperialist policy that led to Uh, also the socialization of the Western uh, population inside this kind of mood. And uh, the Eastern population grew up in a very different uh, uh, system where there was a brother brotherly uh, relation built to the Soviet Union and to the Russians, to the, to the Eastern European peoples, you know. And so there's, uh, there's um, yeah, this, this sticked by, I guess, uh, until today. Matthew, do you have anything you want to add to that? or? Yeah, maybe I would add an, another interesting fact that we discovered when we were doing this uh, health research into the healthcare system of the GDR, because this also relates to the same point, sort of this difference between the West and the East. And uh, we, asked, we also had it here in East Germany that the uh, willingness to receive the COVID vaccine was much lower than in the West. Mm. But the interesting thing was that the willingness to be vaccinated for sort of the general things that you get vaccinated for as a kid was much higher. And also like a flu shot was much higher in the East. It still is much higher in the East. So it's not, a, it's not an anti-vax position that they were, that there was, it was so widespread in the East, but it was very much sort of an anti-COVID vax thing that's going on. And I would say, uh, I would argue that, you know, this is very much a, a crisis uh, of trust, not in medicine or in uh, logic and reason, but in this system. You know, you, you had people coming on the TV here, you know, corporate representatives of the big pharmaceutical companies saying, oh, you need to take more of these vaccinations and so on. It's just not, it's not trustworthy, you know. And so then again, this story was sort of like carried out that the East Germans, you know, they're somehow stupid. They don't want to get vaccinated. They're anti-science, whatever. But, you know, this is just a complete denial of the fact that actually people are upset with the system, that people are not willing to go along with what the elites are saying in the West anymore, because it's just life is actually not uh, the, what it was always presented to be on the TV. Uh, when you turned on Western television in East Germany, all you saw was, you know, glamour and uh, wealth and luxury and so on. But actually, that's not the case, you know. Uh, and so I think this, these, these are just sort of expressions of that fact. You know, that's what we need to understand with this kind of IFD voting, right-wing voting, um, this sort of anti-COVID vaccination, things like that. I would say, I would put it down a lot to that. Not to forget that the majority is still the non-voting population. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Well, so I guess this is a good time, a good point to maybe move towards the issue of, well, the idea of anti-imperialism as such a crucial part of socialism. And uh, not just obviously the GDR, but like other parts of the socialist camp around the world. But I'm curious if you, this is something that you guys have also done a lot of work on. Um, so can you give, I guess, a brief overview of this debate that you wanted to talk about that took place during the 1920s that ends up leading to that sort of like basic international principle and practice of 
of socialist states like the German Democratic Republic and how anti-imperialism was was so central to all of that? Yeah, so I think, uh, again, here it's important to maybe start by saying that, you know, the, the, the established narrative is that, uh, that the East Germany and the other socialist states, they were being purely sort of self-interested on the world stage, right? Their foreign policy was very much just uh, their own national interests, basically. Um, and we kind of wanted to dig deeper and look, okay, what's actually the, the theoretical ideological basis of the foreign policy of these states? You know, can we actually say that they're just acting in their own national interests? And basically we quickly uh, realized that we would have to go back to sort of the debates that were happening in the Communist International in the 1920s, because it's sort of at this point where these questions of anti-imperialism, you know, colonization and so on, this is where they become a practical reality, right? Because, you know, previously in the second international, they'd be discussing these issues, but now with the October revolution, there was a socialist state on the world stage now. And so it was very much a practical discussion. How do we actually apply our theory? And uh, so they have this, uh, these, these congresses then that are uh, originally and hosted in the Soviet Union. And the key sort of Congress that they hold then is in 1920s. It's the second Congress that the Communist International holds. And it's here where they really sort of begin turning their attention towards the East because they realize that, you know, this revolutionary wave that they saw after the First World War in Europe is now kind of subsiding in Europe. And so these anti-colonial struggles in the East, they're actually, uh, you know, really sort of becoming a focal point of revolutionary energy in the world. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear the rest, you can access it by becoming a Breakthrough News member at Patreon dot com slash breakthrough news.